Welcome to See It or Shove It. I'm your host, Greg, and I'm here again this week to give you my thoughts on the selection of new movies playing in theaters and streaming on your TV. Also, this week I continue my focus on the Emmy nominees in the segment Binge It or Singe It. For our featured movies this week, Idris Elba battles a lion in Beast, Crunchyroll Studios releases their latest Dragon Ball Super superhero, That Villainous Orphan is back for the prequel Orphan First Kill, and Stephen James and Marissa Tomei try to find out why Delia's gone. Let's get started. The first film this week features Idris Elba taking his daughters on a safari that none of them will ever forget. This is Beast. I've got to get my girls out of here. I need you to trust me right now. Don't you move, okay? Where did he go? In this film, Elba plays Dr. Nate Samuels, a recently widowed doctor who is trying to reconnect with his daughters, who resent him for leaving their mother many years before. He decides to take them on a safari at the Mopani Game Reserve in South Africa, where he reunites with an old friend of the family and biologist Martin Battles, played by Charlotte Copley. Martin takes the family to the village where their mother grew up. The next day, Martin takes them on a special tour of the reserve's restricted areas where he shows them a variety of wildlife including a pride of lions. On their journey, Nate and Martin discover an entire population of people dead after what appears to be a lion attack. As they are heading back to report the scene, they encounter a bloodied man in the road who tries to warn them of the beast responsible for the attack. Martin eventually finds the lion and is mauled, leaving Nate and the girls to try to find a way out of the reserve before they themselves are victims to this rogue feline. I give this film a... Mild See It. This movie had many eye-rolling moments, including the final scene. However, there was enough tension built up throughout that made for some genuinely scary moments, making this fun to watch at times. Now, my recommendation isn't a glowing one, but like Bullet Train a few weeks ago, I sat on the fence and when this happens I always ask myself, would I watch this again? And I think I would if it was playing on TV some weekend. Elba was charismatic as always, and the lion terrified me with some of the attacks. The lesson the picture tries to portray about how terribly wrong it can go when man invades an animal's natural habitat is an admirable one, even if it's overshadowed by bluster and special effects. If you go see it, just temper your expectations and enjoy it for what it is, a summer thriller meant to give you a few scares. Next, the latest in the Crunchyroll Studios canon of Japanese anime hits the theaters. This is Dragon Ball Super, Superhero. This guy seems to learn his opponent's techniques as he fights. You need to believe in yourself and unleash that power. Everything you've got, no holding back. 
In this film, we find Gohan on Earth living his life while his father Goku and friend Vegeta are rage control training on distant planet Beerus, along with other popular characters such as Broly. However, Gohan's new life is thrown into shambles when the Red Ribbon Army is revived and led by Commander Magenta and Staff Officer Carmine, who recruit Dr. Hito to get revenge on Piccolo and Gohan. To do this, the army creates two androids to attack their targets, while acting as superheroes in public. Can Gohan and Piccolo overcome the army and save themselves from destruction, or will the androids prove to be too powerful? I give this film a... See it! I generally don't watch Japanese anime and was unfamiliar with the storyline and characters in this film. But I did find the storyline to be easy to follow and engage with. I'm sure followers of the series would enjoy this film even more. Last year, I watched a season of Demon Slayer before seeing the film, and it did make for a more enjoyable experience having that background. But like I said, it isn't necessary for this film, as it is accessible to new viewers. If you are interested in getting into Japanese anime, or are a Dragon Ball fan, go see this one. Next up, a violent woman with a rare genetic disorder disguises herself as a young girl to terrorize a grieving family. This is Orphan First Kill. Esther's behavior has been so erratic. Hello, Mommy. Thank you, Mommy. I know, Mommy. I did notice some inconsistencies. What are you getting at? To me, it felt like a performance. In this prequel to the 2009 film Orphan, this film opens in Estonia in 2007, where we find 31-year-old Alina Klammer, still played by Isabel Furman, thanks in part to camera tricks. This was the same technique that was used in the film Aileen from earlier this year. It's an interesting method, and it works for the most part. There are some parts where she looks her age, but that's beside the point. Lena is institutionalized and is the hospital's most dangerous patient. She meets art therapist Anna, whom she terrorizes after seducing and killing a guard, and she goes and hides in Anna's car to follow her home. After breaking into Anna's home, she kills her and uses her computer to research missing children where she discovers she bears a striking resemblance to a missing American girl named Esther Albright. Lena disguises herself as Esther and is reunited with her family in the United States. Her mother, Trisha, played by Julia Stiles, returns to Connecticut with Lena posing as Esther. Lena begins to grow fond of Trisha's husband, Alan, a wealthy painter, and they begin bonding over their love of art. Lena begins to drive a wedge between the family members, including their son, Gunner. When a suspicious investigator starts poking around and Lena's cover begins to crumble, she does everything in her power to eliminate all threats. I give this film a... Mild see it. The first half of this film played like a carbon copy of its predecessor and almost lost me. 
However, a huge twist midway through spun this film into a lunacy that I couldn't help but watch to see how it ended. Although, if you have seen the original, you already know the fates of many of the characters. Was the twist ridiculous? Yes. But it was so insane that the rest of the film was like an accident you couldn't help but look at. This wasn't one of my favorite films of the year, but I don't regret giving it 90 minutes of my time. If you're a fan of the original movie, you'll probably enjoy this one too. Our final featured film this week shows a man convicted of killing his sister go on a quest to clear his name. This is Delia's Gone. What else do you remember? Now, if you talk about her, it can help us get back to the old Lewis. Delia took her secrets to the grave. I'm gonna move out. But you live here with me. I'm really sorry, Lewis. There's a visitor here. Lewis, you don't know the whole truth. How she died. Stephen James plays Lewis, an intellectually disabled man who lives with his sister, Delia, who struggles with addiction following their father's death. One night, she invites her brother to join her at the local bar for a drink, but Lewis insists on following a schedule and refuses to go. The next morning, Lewis wakes up to find Delia's bloodied, dead body on the floor of their home, and he is quickly charged and convicted for her murder. Following his sentence, Lewis lives at a nursing facility and is visited by Stacker, played by Travis Fimmel. Stacker was one of the last people to see Delia alive, and he implies there's more to her death than everyone has been led to believe. This implores Lewis to go on a mission to find out the truth and clear his name. However, he is seen as a threat to his town and is pursued by the local sheriff, Bo, played by Cruella star Paul Walter Hauser, and former sheriff and stacker's sister, Fran, played by Academy Award-winning actress Marissa Tomei. I give this film a... Shove it. This movie is not interesting in the slightest. The crime and conviction are all done within five minutes, eliminating any tension that could be drawn from Lewis being the main suspect in a murder, and the rest of the film is one predictable scenario after another, and it ends up leaving the audience with more questions than answers. Stephen James does what he can with the material, but it just isn't enough. The biggest shocker of this film was just how disengaged of a performance the usually outstanding Marissa Tomei gives. It's like she didn't care at all about this film and only took the role to pay some bills. It was bizarre how bored she looked in every scene she was in. Maybe it was a choice she made for the character, but it didn't work. And she's one of those actresses that I usually say I would watch read the newspaper. But after this performance, I take that back. Do yourself a favor and skip this one. That's it for this week's featured films. To recap, Beast is in theaters now and is a see it. Dragon Ball Super Superhero is in theaters now and is a see it. Orphan First Kill is in theaters now and also streaming on Paramount Plus if you subscribe to that and is a mild see it. And Delia's Gone is in theaters now and is a shove it. If I had to pick one for my pick of the week, I guess the one I would go back and see would be Beast, although it's a mild recommendation. 
Additionally, it's time for my lightning round reviews of some additional movies I've seen this week in my segment called Quake Picks. The zombie comedy action film Day Shift starring Jamie Foxx and Dave Franco is a shove-it. It can be seen on Netflix. The comedy Spin Me Round is a mediocre mix of comedy and romance and is also a shove-it. It's in theaters now and streaming on AMC+. Now, let's move on to this week's Binge It or Singe It. A few weeks ago, the Television Academy released their list of nominees for this year's Primetime Emmy Ceremony. So from now until the ceremony on September 12th, I will focus on some of the biggest nominees, culminating with my predictions of who will win. I've already focused on Only Murders in the Building, Succession, and Ted Lasso, if you want to go back and listen to those. And before I begin this week's show, I realized that last week I forgot to mention where you can find Ted Lasso. In case you're wondering, that great show can be seen on Apple TV+. Now, this week the focus is on another heavily nominated limited series, HBO Max's The White Lotus, which earned 20 nominations this year. The goal is to disappear behind our masks as pleasant, interchangeable helpers. It's tropical kabuki. Aloha. Happy to be here. We're on our honeymoon. You're such valued guests. Welcome to the White Lotus. In this series, a group of rich, entitled people spend a week vacationing at a resort named the White Lotus, a picturesque paradise for the wealthy to relax in Hawaii. However, as each day passes, relationships begin to crumble, dysfunctions begin to take flight, and the guests and employees begin to have their worlds turned upside down by a variety of mishaps and mysteries. This show is so addictive, mainly thanks to its superb cast, eight of whom received Emmy nominations this year. Led by the fantastic Murray Bartlett as Armand, the hotel manager, Each guest and employee has a secret they are harboring, and he does what he can to ensure their Hawaiian vacation is as smooth as the sand on the beach. The supporting cast includes the great Connie Britton as a CFO of an internet company who can't let a vacation or her family's drama get in the way of her work. Steve Zahn plays her husband Mark, who is dealing with a health crisis. Sydney Sweeney as their vicious and apathetic daughter Olivia and the great Jennifer Coolidge in an unforgettable scene-stealing role as Tanya, a woman grieving the loss of her mother. Also making appearance about halfway through is the hilarious Molly Shannon, who shows up as an overbearing mother to Shane, played by Jake Lacey, who is honeymooning with his new unhappy bride, played by Alexandria Daddario. The storylines are all interesting, and this is a series that would make for a great weekend binge. Now, this year, it's in the limited series category, and it was recently renewed for a second season, and it's going to be a whole new cast of characters, and it's going to be set in Italy, so that would be interesting for me to watch when that comes on. Again, you can find this show on HBO Max. So that's it for this week. Now it's time to say goodbye. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen. 
As always, I'm super grateful. Support your local theaters by going to see some of the movies I reviewed this month. And the good thing is a lot of them are playing some of these little treasures, like last week's Emily the Criminal, that maybe you normally wouldn't go see. Uh, While you're at it, share my podcast with your movie and TV-loving friends and family in person and on social media. I appreciate all of your support. Next week, Idris Elba is back for a second week in a row as a djinn, granting three wishes to Oscar winner Tilda Swinton in 3,000 Years of Longing. John Boyega is a bank robber in Breaking. And a young woman has a terrifying family reunion in The Invitation. Follow me on Instagram at BrewstersDad73 and rate me wherever you get your podcasts. I will see you next week. Bye. This episode of See It or Shove It was recorded in Orlando, Florida and is produced by Gregory G. Productions. Music by Mysterio Music. All rights reserved.